Chapter Twenty of the Empire of Russia from the Remotest Periods to the Present Time. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Bascom. The Empire of Russia from the Remotest Periods to the Present Time by John S. C. Abbott. Chapter Twenty conquests and achievements of peter the great from seventeen o two to seventeen eighteen peter takes lake ladoga and the neva foundation of st petersburg conquest of livonia marienburg taken by storm the empress catherine extraordinary efforts in building st petersburg threat of charles the twelfth Deposition of Augustus, enthronement of Stanislaus, Battle of Pultova, Flight of Charles the Twelfth to Turkey, Increased renown of Russia, Disastrous conflict with the Turks, Marriage of Alexis, His character, Death of his wife, The Empress acknowledged, Conquest of Finland, Tour of the Tsar to Southern Europe, Charles the Twelfth, despising the Russians, devoted all his energies to the humiliation of Augustus of Poland, resolving to pursue him until he had driven him for ever from his throne. Peter was thus enabled to get the command of the Lake of Ladoga, and of the River Neva, which connects that lake with the Baltic. He immediately laid the foundations of a city, St. Petersburg, to be his great commercial emporium at the mouth of the Neva, near the head of the Gulf of Finland. The land was low and marshy, but in other respects the location was admirable. Its approaches could easily be defended against any naval attack, and water communications were opened with the interior through the Neva and Lake Ladoga. Livonia was a large province about the size of the state of Maine, nearly encircled by the Gulf of Riga, the Baltic, the Gulf of Finland, and Lake Chude. The possession of this province, which contained some five hundred thousand inhabitants, was essential to Peter in the prosecution of his commercial enterprises. During the prosecution of this war, the small town of Marienburg, on the confines of Livonia, situated on the shores of a lake, was taken by storm. The town was utterly destroyed, and nearly all the inhabitants slain, a few only being taken prisoners. The Russian commanding officer saw among these captives a young girl of extraordinary beauty who was weeping bitterly. Attracted by such rare loveliness and uncontrollable grief, he called her to him, and learned from her that she was born in a village in the vicinity on the borders of the lake, that she had never known her father, and that her mother died when she was but three years of age. The Protestant minister of Marienburg, Dr. Gluck, chancing to see her one day, and ascertaining that she was left an orphan and friendless, received her into his own house, and cherished her with true parental tenderness. The very evening before the town of Marienburg was assaulted and taken by storm, she was married to a young Livonian sergeant, a very excellent young man, of reputable family and possessing a little property. In the horrors of the tempest of war which immediately succeeded the nuptial ceremonies, her husband was slain, and as his body could never be found, it probably was consumed in the flames which laid the town in ashes. General Boyer, moved with compassion, took her under his protection. He ascertained that her character had always been irreproachable, 
and he ever maintained that she continued to be a pattern of virtue. She was but seventeen years of age when Peter saw her. Her beauty immediately vanquished him. His wife he had repudiated after a long disagreement, and she had retired to a convent. Peter took the lovely child, still a child in years, under his own care, and soon privately married her, with how much sacredness of nuptial rites is not now known. Such was the early history of Catherine, who subsequently became the recognized and renowned Empress of Russia. That a poor stranger, says Voltaire, who had been discovered amid the ruins of a plundered town, should become the absolute sovereign of that very empire into which she was led captive, is an incident which fortune and merit have never before produced in the annals of the world. The city of Petersburg was founded on the 22nd of May, 1703, on a desert and marshy spot of ground, in the sixtieth degree of latitude. The first building was a fort which now stands in the centre of the city. Though Peter was involved in all the hurry and confusion of war, he devoted himself with marvellous energy to the work of rearing an imperial city upon the bogs and the swamps of the Neva. It required the merciless vigour of despotism to accomplish such an enterprise. Workmen were marched by thousands from Kesan, from Astrachan, from the Ukraine, to assist in building the city. No difficulties, no obstacles were allowed to impede the work. The Tsar had a low hut built of plank, just sufficient to shelter him from the weather, where he superintended the operations. This hut is still preserved as one of the curiosities of St. Petersburg. In less than a year thirty thousand houses were reared, and these were all crowded by the many thousands Peter had ordered to the rising city from all parts of the empire. Death made terrible ravages among them but the remote provinces furnished an abundant supply to fill the places of the dead. Exposure, toil, and the insalubrity of the marshy ground consigned one hundred thousand to the grave during this first year. The morass had to be drained, and the ground raised by bringing earth from a distance. Wheelbarrows were not in use there, and the laborers conveyed the earth in blankets, bags, and even in the skirts of their clothes, scooping it up with their hands and with wooden paddles. The Tsar always manifested great respect for the outward observances of religion, and was constant in his attendance upon divine service. As we have mentioned, the first building the Tsar erected was a fort, the second a church, the third a hotel. In the meantime, private individuals were busily employed by thousands in putting up shops and houses. The city of Amsterdam was essentially the model upon which St. Petersburg was built. The wharves, the canals, the bridges, and the rectangular streets, lined with trees, were arranged by architects brought from the Dutch metropolis. When Charles the Twelfth was informed of the rapid progress the Tsar was making in building a city on the banks of the Neva, he said, Let him amuse himself as he thinks fit in building his city. I shall soon find time to take it from him, and to put his wooden houses in a blaze. Five months had not passed away from the commencement of operations upon these vast morasses at the mouth of the Neva, ere, one day, it was reported to the Tsar that a large ship under the Dutch colors was in full sail entering the harbor. Peter was overjoyed at this realization of the dearest wish of his heart. With ardor he set off to meet the welcome stranger. He found that the ship had been sent by one of his old friends at Zandam. The cargo consisted of salt, wine, and provisions generally. The cargo was landed free from all duties, and was speedily sold to the great profit of the owners. 
to protect his capital peter immediately commenced his defences at kronstadt about thirty miles down the bay from that hour until this russia has been at work upon those fortifications and they can now probably bid defiance to all the navies of the world charles the twelfth sweeping poland with fire and the sword drove augustus out of the kingdom to his hereditary electorate of saxony and then convening the polish nobles caused stanislas leszczynski one of his own followers to be elected sovereign and sustained him on the throne by all the power of the swedish armies the swedish warrior now fitted out a fleet for the destruction of kronstadt and petersburg the defence of the province was entrusted to menzikov this man subsequently passed through a career so full of vicissitudes that a sketch of his varied life thus far seems important he was the son of one of the humblest of the peasants living in the vicinity of moscow when but thirteen years of age he was taken into the service of a pastry-cook to sell pies and cakes about the streets and he was accustomed to attract customers by singing jocular songs the czar chanced to hear him one day and diverted by his song and struck by his bright intelligent appearance called for the boy and offered to purchase his whole stock both cakes and basket the boy replied it is my business to sell the cakes and i have no right to sell the basket without my master's permission yet as everything belongs to our prince your majesty has only to give the command and it is my duty to obey this adroit apt answer so pleased the czar that he took the lad into his service giving him at first some humble employment but being daily more pleased with his wit and shrewdness he raised him step by step to the highest preferment under the tuition of general lefort he attained great skill in military affairs and became one of the bravest and most successful of the russian generals early in the spring of seventeen o five the swedish fleet consisting of twenty-two ships of war each carrying about sixty guns besides six frigates two bomb catches and two fire-ships approached kronstadt at the same time a large number of transports landed a strong body of troops to assail the forts in the rear this was the most formidable attack charles the twelfth had yet attempted in his wars though the swedes almost invariably conquered the russians in the open field Minsikov, from behind his well-constructed redoubts beat back his assailants and st petersburg was saved the summer passed away with many but undecisive battles until the storms of the long northern winter separated the combatants the state of exasperation was now such that the most revolting cruelties were perpetrated on both sides the campaign of seventeen o six opened most disastrously to russia in four successive pitched battles the forces of the czar had been defeated augustus was humbled to the dust and was compelled to write a letter to stanislas congratulating him upon his accession to the throne he also ignominiously consented to deliver up the unfortunate livonian noble patgol whose only crime was his love for the rights and privileges of his country charles the twelfth caused this unhappy noble to be broken upon the wheel thus inflicting a stain upon his own character which can never be effaced the haughty swedish monarch seemed now to be sovereign over all of northern europe excepting russia augustus driven from the throne of poland was permitted to hold the electorate of saxony only in consequence of his abject submission to charles the twelfth stanislaus the new polish sovereign was merely a vassal of sweden and even the emperor joseph of germany paid implicit obedience to the will of a monarch who had such terrible armies at his command 
under these circumstances some of the powers endeavoured to secure peace between sweden and russia the french envoy at the court of sweden introduced the subject charles the twelfth proudly replied i shall treat with the czar in the city of moscow peter being informed of this boast and threat remarked my brother charles wants to act the part of alexander but he shall not find me a darius charles the twelfth from his triumphant invasion of saxony marched with an army of forty-five thousand men through poland which was utterly desolated by war and crossing the frontiers of russia directed his march to moscow driving all opposition before him he arrived upon the banks of the Danaper and without much difficulty effected the passage of the stream peter himself with menshikov now hastened to the theatre of conflict and summoned his mightiest energies to repel the foe battle after battle ensued with varying results but the situation of the swedish conqueror was fast growing desperate he was far from home his regiments were daily diminishing beneath the terrible storms of war while recruits were pouring in from all directions to swell the ranks of the czar it was the month of december the villages had all been burned and the country turned into a desert the cold was so intense that on one particular march two thousand men dropped down dead in their ranks the wintry storms soon became so severe that both parties were compelled to remain for some time in inaction every poor peasant within fifty miles was robbed by detachments of starving soldiers the moment the weather permitted both armies were again in action charles the twelfth had taken a circuitous route towards moscow through the ukraine hoping to rouse the people of this region to join his standards this plan however proved an utter failure about the middle of june the two armies led by their respective sovereigns met at poltova upon the warskla near its point of junction with the Dnieper, about four hundred miles south of moscow several days were passed in manoeuvring and skirmishing in preparation for a decisive struggle it was evident to all europe that the great battle to ensue would decide the fate of russia poland and sweden thirty thousand war-worn veterans were marshalled under the banners of charles the twelfth the czar led sixty thousand troops into the conflict fully aware of the superiority of the swedish troops he awaited the attack of his formidable foe behind his redoubts in one of the skirmishes two days before the great battle a bullet struck charles the twelfth shattering the bone of his heel it was an exceedingly painful wound which was followed by an equally painful operation though the indomitable warrior was suffering severely he caused himself to be borne in a litter to the head of his troops and led the charge the attack upon the entrenchments was made with all the characteristic impetuosity of these demonic fighters notwithstanding the storm of grape-shot which was hurled into their faces covering the ground with the mangled and the dead two of the redoubts were taken and shouts of victory ran along the lines of the swedes the action continued with fiend-like ferocity for two hours charles the twelfth with a pistol in his hand was borne on his litter from rank to rank animating his troops until a cannon-ball striking down one of his bearers also shattered the litter into fragments and dashed the bandaged monarch to the ground with as much calmness as though this were an ordinary everyday occurrence charles ordered his guards immediately to make another litter with their pikes he was placed upon it and continued to direct the battle paying no more attention to bullets balls and bombshells than if they had been snowflakes peter was equally prodigal of danger death in that hour was more desirable to him than defeat for charles the twelfth victorious would march direct to moscow and russia would share the fate of poland 
the czar was conspicuous at every point where the battle raged most fiercely several bullets pierced his clothes one passing through his hat just grazed the crown of his head at length the swedes overpowered by numbers gave way and fled in great confusion charles though agonized by his wound was compelled to mount on horseback as the only means of escape from capture the black hour of woe came which sooner or later meets almost every warrior however successful for a time his career may be the blow was fatal to charles the twelfth more than nine thousand of the swedes were left dead upon the field of battle eighteen thousand were taken prisoners the swedish king with a few hundred troops in his retinue cut off from his retreat towards sweden crossed the daniper and fled to turkey peter did not pursue him but being informed of his desperate resolve to seek refuge in the territory of the turks he magnanimously wrote a letter to him urging him not to take so perilous a step assuring him upon his honour that he would not detain him as a prisoner but that all their difficulties should be settled by a reasonable peace a special courier was dispatched with this letter but he could not overtake the fugitives when the courier arrived at the river boy which separates the deserts of ukraine from the territories of the great seigneur the swedes had already crossed the river in the character of peter there was a singular compound of magnanimity and of the most brutal insensibility and mercilessness he ordered all the swedish generals who were his captives to be introduced to him returned to them their swords and invited them to dine with a gracefulness of courtesy rarely surpassed he offered as a toast the sentiment to the health of my masters in the art of war and yet soon after he consigned nearly all these captives to the horrors of siberian exile this utter defeat of charles the twelfth produced a sudden revolution in poland sweden and saxony peter immediately dispatched a large body of cavalry under minsikoff to poland to assist augustus in regaining his crown soon after he followed himself at the head of an army and entering warsaw in triumph on the seventh of october seventeen o nine replaced augustus upon the throne from which charles the twelfth had ejected him the whole kingdom acknowledged peter for their protector peter then marched to the electorate of brandenburg which had recently been elevated into the kingdom of prussia and performing the functions of his own ambassador entered into a treaty with frederick the first grandfather of frederick the great he then returned with all eagerness to st petersburg and pressed forward the erection of new buildings and the enlargement of the fleet a magnificent festival was here arranged in commemoration of the great victory of poltova nine arches were reared beneath which the procession marched in the most gorgeous array of civic and military pageantry the artillery of the vanquished their standards the shattered litter of the king and the vast array of captives soldiers and officers all on foot followed in the train of the triumphal procession while the ringing of bells the explosion of a hundred pieces of artillery and the shouts of an innumerable multitude added to the enthusiasm which the scene inspired the battle of poltova gave peter great renown throughout europe and added immeasurably to the reputation of russia an occurrence had taken place in london which had deeply offended the czar who wielding himself the energies of despotism could form no idea of that government of law which was irrespective of the will of the sovereign the russian ambassador at the court of queen anne had been arrested at the suit of a tradesman in london and had been obliged to give bail to save himself from the debtor's prison peter regarding this as a personal insult demanded of queen anne satisfaction 
she expressed her regret for the occurrence but stated that according to the laws of england a creditor had a right to sue for his just demands and that there was no statute exempting foreign ambassadors from being arrested for debt peter who had no respect for constitutional liberty was not at all satisfied with this declaration but postponed further action until his conflict with sweden should be terminated now in the hour of victory he turned again to queen anne and demanded reparation for what he deemed the insult offered to his government he threatened in retaliation to take vengeance upon all the merchants and british subjects within his dominions this was an appalling menace queen anne accordingly sent lord whitworth on a formal embassy to the czar with a diplomatic lie in his mouth addressing peter in the most flattering words of most high and mighty emperor he assured him that the offending tradesmen had been punished with imprisonment and rendered infamous and that an act of parliament should be passed rendering it no longer lawful to arrest a foreign ambassador the offender had not been punished but the act was subsequently passed the acknowledgment accompanied by such flattering testimonials of respect was deemed satisfactory the czar had demanded the death of the offender every englishman must read with pride the declaration of queen anne in reference to this demand there are said she insuperable difficulties with respect to the ancient and fundamental laws of the government of our people which we fear do not permit so severe and rigorous a sentence to be given as your imperial majesty first seemed to expect in this case and we persuade ourselves that your imperial majesty who are a prince famous for clemency and exact justice will not require us who are the guardian and protector of the laws to inflict a punishment on our subjects which the law does not empower us to do the whole of livonia speedily fell into the hands of the czar and was re-annexed to russia pestilence which usually follows in the train of war now rose from the putridity of battlefields and sweeping like the angel of death over the war-scathed and starving inhabitants of livonia penetrated sweden whole provinces were depopulated and in stockholm alone thirty thousand perished the war of the spanish succession was now raging and every nation in europe was engaged in the work of destruction and butchery spain portugal italy france the german empire england holland denmark sweden poland were all in arms and hundreds of millions of men were directly or indirectly employed in the work of mutual destruction the fugitive king charles the twelfth was endeavouring to enlist the energies of the ottoman port in his behalf and the grand seigneur had promised to throw his armies also two hundred thousand strong into the arena of flame and blood and to march for the conquest of russia peter conscious of the danger of an attack from turkey raised an army of one hundred and twenty-five thousand men when he was informed that the turks with a combined army of two hundred and ten thousand troops were ravaging the province of azov urging his troops impetuously onward he crossed the pruth and entered jassy the capital of moldavia the grand vizier with an army three times more numerous crossed the danube and advanced to meet him for three days the contending hosts poured their shot into each other's bosoms the czar outnumbered and surrounded though enabled to hold his position behind his entrenchments saw clearly that famine would soon compel him to surrender his position was desperate catherine had accompanied her husband on this expedition and at her earnest solicitation the czar sent proposals of peace to the grand vizier accompanied with a valuable present of money and jewels the turk dreading the energies which despair might develop in so powerful a foe 
was willing to come into an accommodation, and entered into a treaty which, though greatly to the advantage of the Ottoman port, rescued the Tsar from the greatest peril in which he had ever been placed. The Grand Vizier good-naturedly sent several wagons of provisions to the camp of his humbled foes, and the Russians returned to their homes, having lost twenty thousand men. Alexis, the oldest son of Peter, had ever been a bad boy, and he had now grown up into an exceedingly dissolute and vicious young man. Indolent, licentious, bacchanalian in his habits, and overbearing, his father had often threatened to deprive him of his right of succession, and to shave his crown and resign him to a convent. Hoping to improve his character, he urged his marriage, and selected for him a beautiful princess of Wolfenbüttel, as the possessions of the Dukes of Brunswick were then called. The old ducal castle still stands on the banks of the Oka about forty miles southeast of Hanover. The princess of Wolfenbüttel, who was but eighteen years of age, was sister to the Empress of Germany, consort of Charles VI. The young Russian prince was dragged very reluctantly to this marriage, for he wished to be shackled by no such ties. He was the son of Peter's first wife, not of the Empress Catherine, whom the Tsar had now acknowledged. Peter and Catherine attended these untoward nuptials, which were celebrated in the palace of the Queen of Poland, in which a princess as lovely in character as in person was sacrificed to one who made the few remaining months of her life a continued martyrdom. But little more than a year had passed after their marriage ere she was brought to bed of a son. Her heart was already broken, and she was quite unprepared for the anguish of such an hour. Though the sweetness of her disposition and the gentleness of her manners had endeared her to all her household, her husband treated her with the most brutal neglect and cruelty. Unblushingly he introduced into the palace his mistresses, and the saloons ever resounded with the uproar of his drunken companions. The woe-stricken princess, then but twenty years of age, covered her face with the bedclothes, and, weeping bitterly, refused to take any nourishment, and begged the physicians to permit her to die in peace. Intelligence was immediately sent to the Tsar of the confinement of his daughter-in-law, and of her dangerous situation. He hastened to her chamber. The interview was short, but so affecting that the Tsar, losing all self-control, burst into an agony of grief, and wept like a child. The dying princess commended to his care her babe and her servants, and, as the clock struck the hour of midnight, her spirit departed. We trust to that world where the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. The orphan babe was baptized as Peter Alexis, and subsequently, on the death of the Empress Catherine, became Emperor of Russia. On the 20th of February, 1712, Peter, who had previously acknowledged his private marriage with Catherine, had the marriage publicly solemnized at St. Petersburg with the utmost pomp. Soon after this, to the inexpressible joy of both parents, Catherine gave birth to a son. The war with Sweden still continued, notwithstanding Charles the Twelfth was a fugitive in Turkey, unable to return to his own country. Finland, a vast realm containing one hundred and thirty-five thousand square miles and almost embraced by the gulfs of Bothnia and of Finland, then belonged to Sweden. Peter fitted out an expedition from St. Petersburg for the conquest of that country. With three hundred ships conveying thirteen thousand men, he effected a landing in the vicinity of Abo, notwithstanding the opposition of the Swedish force there, and, establishing his troops in redoubts with ample supplies, he returned to St. Petersburg for reinforcements. 
he soon returned and with an army augmented to twenty thousand foot and four thousand horse with a powerful train of artillery commenced a career of conquest the city of abo on the coast the capital of finland fell unresistingly into his hands with the large quantity of provisions there was a flourishing university here containing a valuable library peter sent the books to st petersburg and they became the foundation of the present royal library in that place the czar leaving the prosecution of the war to his generals returned to st petersburg many and bloody battles were fought in those northern wilds during the summer in most of which the russians had the advantage gaining citadel after citadel until winter drove the combatants from the field with indefatigable zeal peter pressed forward in his plan to give splendor and power to his new city of petersburg one thousand families were moved there from moscow very flattering offers were made to induce foreigners to settle there and a decree was issued declaring petersburg to be the only port of entry in the empire he ordered that no more wooden houses should be built and that all should be covered with tile and to secure the best architects from europe he offered them houses rent free and entire exemption from taxes for fourteen years the campaign of another summer that of seventeen fourteen rendered the czar the master of the whole province of finland in the autumn of this year charles the twelfth escaped from turkey where he had performed pranks outrivalling don quixote and had finally been held a prisoner he traversed hungary and germany in disguise and travelling day and night in such haste that but one of his attendants could keep up with him arrived exhausted and haggard in sweden he was received with the liveliest demonstrations of joy and immediately placed himself again at the head of the swedish armies the czar however conscious that he now had not much to fear from sweden left the conduct of the desultory war with his generals and set out on another tour of observation to southern europe the lovely catherine who with the fairy form and sylph-like grace of a girl of seventeen had won the love of peter was now a staid and worthy matron of middle life she had however secured the abiding affection of the czar and he loved to take her with him on all his journeys catherine though on the eve of again becoming a mother accompanied her husband as far as holland through stralsund mecklenburg and hamburg they proceeded to rostock where a fleet of forty-five galleys awaited him the emperor took command and hoisting his flag sailed to copenhagen here he was entertained for two months with profuse hospitality by the king of denmark during which time he studied with sleepless vigilance the institutions and the artistic attainments of the country about the middle of december he arrived at amsterdam the city gave him a splendid reception and he was welcomed by the earl of aldmerle in a very complimentary speech pompous and flowery the uncourteous czar bluntly replied i thank you heartily though i don't understand much of what you say i learned my dutch among shipbuilders but the sort of language you have spoken i am sure i never learned some of his old companions who were shipbuilders and had acquired wealth invited him to dine they addressed him as your majesty peter cut them short saying come brothers let us converse like plain and honest ship carpenters a servant brought him some wine give me the jug he said laughing and then i can drink as much as i please and no one can tell me how much i have taken he hastened to zandam where he was received with the utmost joy by his old friends from whom he had parted nineteen years before an old woman pressed forward to greet him my good woman said the czar how do you know who i am i am the widow she said of bas pool at whose table your majesty so often sat nineteen years ago the emperor kissed her upon the forehead and invited her to dine with him that very day 
one of his first visits was to the little cottage or rather hut which he had occupied while residing there the cottage is still carefully preserved having been purchased in eighteen twenty three by the sister of the emperor alexander and enclosed in another building with large arched windows the room was even then regarded as sacred in the centre stood the oaken table and the three wooden chairs which constituted the furniture when peter occupied it the loft was ascended by a ladder which still remains with all the roughness of peter's exterior he had always been a man of deep religious feelings and through all his life was in habits of daily prayer this loft had been his place of private devotion to which he daily ascended upon entering the cottage and finding everything just as he had left it the czar was for a moment much affected he ascended the ladder to his closet of prayer in the loft and there remained alone with his god for a full half-hour eventful indeed and varied had his life been since there a young man of twenty-five he had daily sought divine guidance footnote thirteen see empire of austria page three eighty two end of chapter twenty